Would you join me in standing as we uh, take a moment just to pray God's blessing on all of our veterans and families and on this service? Lord, we are deeply uh, indebted to the faithfulness of many, many people in our lives. And today on this Veterans Day weekend, we recognize with total uh, appreciation and gratitude and respect the uh, work of so many veterans and their families, Lord, who have sacrificed so much. God, we pray that you will bless them for their faithfulness and service. God, I pray that you'll strengthen them, you'll meet their needs, you'll encourage them, you'll care for them, let them know they are deeply loved and appreciated. And uh, God, we just uh, pray again, uh, heaven's best for each and every one. And we pray it in your precious name. Guide us as we walk through the rest of the service now. I pray your blessing on everybody that's here. Uh, As people are carrying different burdens and challenges, I pray, God, in many ways that your Holy Spirit will minister to us and alleviate those burdens, those challenges that we carry, and uh, give us wisdom and insight how to step forward in each of them. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you to all of our veterans. You may be seated. We appreciate... uh, faithfulness of our uh, armed services, and today is a great day to say thank you with deep gratitude. I also want to say thank you for all that uh, were a part of our Bethany Compassion Center banquet last night. John alluded to it, but we packed out the gym again and celebrated 30 different outreaches that flow out of our church community through the Bethany Compassion Center, uh, and uh, those have been going on, many of them, for over 30 years. So we're just really excited at what God is doing. Uh, CEO of the Ever Gospel Mission, Sylvia Anderson, was our keynote speaker and did a fabulous job, and we're inspired to uh, continue to grow and reach out. You know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you, how much you care. And I think one of the greatest ways in this very toxic and divided world that we live in, one of the most important ways that we're going to be able to build bridges to people far from God is by being people of compassion and love and empathy. And our Compassion Center certainly helps grease the skids in that way. Now, today we're going to continue our series as we walk through the book of Jonah, looking at nine major themes that we call them nine different waves. Uh, beyond survival. Are we going to sink, are we going to swim, or are we going to soar? And people everywhere are feeling like their head's barely above water, they're barely surviving, and life is challenging. How many of you have ever experienced a little bit of challenge in life? And you can go ahead and raise both hands if you qualify in that regard. Uh, We all understand that life can be really, really challenging. And so we've been looking at the nine waves of life that continually pound against us relentlessly like the waves of the ocean, continually pound relentlessly upon us. And uh, we've looked at the first five. We've uh, talked about dreams. You know, we need to uh, dream God's dream. God's got a dream for our life. He's got a dream for our marriage. He's got a dream for our family. He's got a dream for our health. He's got a dream for our testimony, a dream for our education. We need to dream God's dream for our life. And then we need to make godly decisions to walk out that dream. And as we make decisions, our decisions eventually make us. Decisions are vitally important. And God wants us to be very focused on making uh, decisions that are honoring to him. Those dreams will move us in a, a direction. Sometimes we get off path, we get off course, and we need to get back on course and get our direction dialed in again. We serve a God who offers us a second chance, a second opportunity to get back on track. And so uh, direction is really uh, important. 
And then we arrive at a certain destination. God wants us to have in our mind a destination that we want to move toward, again, in our marriage, in our health, in our family, in our faith, and to kind of start with the end in mind a little bit. All fulfilling God's destiny for our life. Making a difference is our destiny. As husbands and wives, as parents, as uh, people in the workforce, as students, God wants us to make a difference. Making a difference is our destiny. The next four waves we have to defend against because they want to pound against us in such a way that they destroy us. They're destructive. And we looked at one of them last week, and that was doubt. Have you ever recognized how doubt can derail God's dream for your life? Have you ever thought about that? You know, if I am full of doubt, continually doubting what God is saying, what I'm doing, what others are saying, you know, doubt can become so overwhelming that it can derail your hope, it can derail your faith, it can just simply destroy God's dream for your life. Same with discouragement. We're going to look at that one today. Discouragement can sink us. Discouragement can drown us. And then the week after that, we're going to look at uh, declaration and then deliverance. But I want to dive in here uh, as we continue to talk today about discouragement. Uh, If you were to come up with one guy in the Bible that was discouraged, uh, Jonah would be one of those guys. Uh, He was the Eeyore of the Bible. How many know what I'm talking about? Eeyore of the Bible. I mean, he was down, down, doobie, down, down, down. He was a discouraged guy. And we pick up on it in chapter 4, verse 1, where it says that Jonah seemed uh, to feel that what God had done, forgiving the Ninevites, offering them grace, offering them compassion, allowing them to repent, relenting of his desire to judge them. This all happened in chapter 3. We get to chapter 4, and Jonah takes exception to that. He said, God, why in the world would you forgive those people? I want to see them burn. I want to see them rot. I want to see them destroyed. And it says here in verse number 3, Lord, take away my life, for it would be better for me if I were to die. You ever felt that way? (laughs) I'd rather not live any longer. You know, that's where Jonah was at. You know, there's others in the Bible that felt that way. Elijah, in chapter 19 of 1 Kings, uh, wanted to die. So did Rachel in Genesis 30, verse 1, give me children or I'll die. In Job 3.11, Job said, I I prefer death. It would be better if I wasn't born. Um, Solomon, in Ecclesiastes 2.17 and 20, it says, my heart began to despair. He was discouraged. He was down. He was despairing. Let's read a little further here. Look at verses 4 and 5. Is it right for you to be angry? God has a conversation with Jonah. And Jonah goes outside the city, and he makes himself a shelter, and he's just sitting there waiting to see what happens to Nineveh. He's pouting. I mean, he's just throwing a little pity party, and he's out there pouting outside the city. I mean, he was really, really down. It's the trajectory of his life. Think about it. He goes down to Joppa. He goes down in a boat. He's thrown down into the ocean. He sinks down to the bottom of the sea. He's swallowed down in the belly of a whale, and he's spit up down in Nineveh, and now he's downhearted and dejected. That is not the trajectory you want for your life, but it was the trajectory for Jonah's life. Then the Lord provided, look at verse 6, a leafy plant made it grow. 
It gave Jonah shade. It was very, very hot out, and he had shade. He was very happy about that. And then, almost in a humorous fashion, God created a worm, put it on the leafy, shady tree, and the worm ate the tree. you got to admit, that's kind of funny. All of a sudden, the shade is gone, and Jonah even more ticked off. And he's just down and discouraged and depressed and angry and, you know, full of all sorts of vitriol. It'd be better for me to die than to live. Look at verse 8 again. Then we come to verse 9, 10 and 11. He says again in verse 9, I'm so angry, I wish I would die. God says, should I not have concern for people? Should I have concern for animals? God has a pretty good point. But at the end of the book of Jonah, get this point, Jonah is in opposition with God. He's opposed to God, and he's discouraged. And that's the last we hear about Jonah in the book of Jonah. You know, the thought occurred to me, is that how I want my life to be described? Life is full of discouraging things. We all have them. But is that how I want my life to end? Is that kind of the epitaph I want for my life? You know, discouraged, down, disheartened? The dictionary says that discouragement is a loss of confidence or a a lack of enthusiasm, to be despaired, to be disheartened. But there's another definition in the dictionary that I want us to think about today, and it's the definition for the word discourage, which means a deficit of courage. Think about that a little bit. We all understand what it means to be despairing and disheartened and, you know, lack enthusiasm, you know, that kind of discouragement. But to discourage is to have a deficit of courage. I want us to think about that a little bit. You know, there uh, are a couple reasons at least. There's many more. But there's a couple reasons why we get discouraged so much. You know, one is unhealthy comparisons. And one is unmet expectations. You know, unhealthy comparisons are, you know, all over us. I mean, social media kind of produces that. We try to keep up with the Joneses. They have more than us. You know, there's just all sorts of comparisons that can be a problem. I was teaching uh, some ministry college students at another church uh, this past Monday, and I met a, uh, a young pastor, uh, Amable, who uh, had this hoodie. Do you see what it says there? Don't be discouraged. I said, that's one of my illustrations for my sermon this Sunday. Here's a guy from the Congo. He comes to America. He's studying to be a pastor, and you can only imagine that things are a lot different here. There's probably a lot of reasons he could be discouraged. And we only talked for a little while, so I didn't get to the depth of his story, but enough to know that uh, if he wasn't such an uh, enthusiastic, inspiring kind of guy, he could allow himself to become a little discouraged. Uh, it's possible to allow unhealthy comparisons to take their toll on us. How about unmet expectations? Now, my little granddaughter, Lily, uh, lives in Anchorage, Alaska, and uh, she uh, went to the uh, school yard with her dad and her brother the other day, and they saw a moose. And her dad was kind of playing with her and said, would you like this moose to come to your house? And she kind of screamed at him, no! You know, she didn't like this moose. Well, guess what? The moose came to Lily's house. Take a look at this video. You know, my son is out there with his uh, earbuds in, you know, scraping, uh, you know, the driveway, and lo and behold... This moose is looking for Lily. And he wants to have a conversation with Lily about how he wants to come and stay at her house. 
And I don't think Lily was too open to it. And she didn't leave out any food for the moose. And the food is looking around, and he finally saunters off to the neighbor's yard. Why? Because of unmet expectations. There was no food there. No food. That's Alaska for you right there. But think about it. Unhealthy comparisons, unmet expectations. We have expectations. You know, we believe we deserve this. We want this. You know, we're in line for that. And as a result, we allow ourselves to get discouraged. Today, I want us to compare and contrast two Bible uh, characters like we've done during each week of these messages. And we're going to look at Jonah, but we're also going to compare him to Joshua. And so I invite you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, and we're going to take a look at at that verse in in, in, uh, priority and compare, hold in juxtaposition, Jonah and Joshua. One, the last thing you hear about him is discouragement. The other one? overcame his discouragement. He rose above it. And I want us to look at that. It says in Joshua 1.9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be, what's it say? Discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Are you discouraged today? I know with the sound of my voice, there are a lot of people that are discouraged. I know this past week, there have been a lot of people that are discouraged. How are you handling? How are you dealing with that discouragement? Is it pounding, pounding, pounding against you relentlessly and it's starting to take you down and take you under? Just the waves over and over are just wreaking havoc on you? Or have you learned to embrace and navigate the wave of discouragement well? Notice what the scripture says is a command do not be discouraged. That's a command. I think a lot of times we consider it more of an option. Well, you know, everybody gets discouraged. I'm going to be discouraged. I'm just going to kind of wallow in my discouragement for a while, just like Jonah. Well, that's not what Joshua did. He said, don't be discouraged. Another command, be strong and courageous. Here's a promise. I'll be with you wherever you go. How many like the sounds of that? And then notice this fact. Not implicitly stated in this verse here, or explicitly stated, more implicitly, but God wants more for our life. He wants more than discouragement. He wants us to soar. He wants us to rise above it. He wants us to see our discouragement as stepping stones to growth. You say, Rob, that sounds way too optimistic and positive. Well, as we walk through this message here today, you're going to see over and over in Scripture that God wants more. He wants us to soar. And so I want us for the few moments that we have here today to talk about how to soar above discouragement. And I want to use that acrostic, S-O-A-R. I hope I spelled that right. Uh, That would mess up my whole uh, idea here. God wants us to soar. How do you rise above it? Here's the thing. Some of us are a little more genetically disposed to discouragement. Did you know that? Some of us are a little more, you know, down than others. You have some people that are just super, super optimists, some people that are super, super pessimists, and then some people that are more realists. I'm not sure where you fit on that continuum, but I've thought a lot about that where I I fit. And depending on the day, I can probably find myself in all three. (laughs) You know, the reality is, if we don't learn how to soar above our discouragement, it will take a toll on us in many ways. So let's talk about this today. 
The first way that I need to practice in my life is I need to determine the source of my discouragement. Why am I discouraged? It's not, well, I'm just discouraged. You know, there's a lot of things going on. No, why, who, what, be specific, call it out, be clear, itemize it, identify it. What is the precise issue causing my discouragement? Personal regret for past mistakes, other people, unrealistic expectations, stress, anger, emotional turbulence, false evidence appearing real, fear, loss of a job. Be crystal clear. No mistaken identity allowed. Do your homework. Figure it out. Don't blame others when it's you, and don't blame you when it's others. you got to get to the heart of the matter if you're going to deal with it. What is the reason, the real reason? I mean, dig deep. Don't blame yourself if it's someone else. Don't blame someone else if it is yourself. Figure out what the real reason is, the real cause. For Joshua, he had a lot on his plate. And you see some of the things he had to deal with. Uh, he, He had a lot of things he was dealing with. And each and every one of these could have caused quite a bit of discouragement for him. In chapter 1, he's dealing with with the fear of taking over for Moses. The first couple of verses in Joshua is, Moses is dead. What a great way to start. Moses had been the safety blanket. Moses had been the leader. Now it's Joshua's turn. And he's overwhelmed. I mean, there's a lot going on. And then there's the failure of of Joshua chapter 2, and Rahab kind of is on the scene, and she creates a a great uh, example and illustration of how to overcome failure. And then there's the, word, uh, the worry of J- uh, Joshua chapter 3, crossing the Jordan. And, and then uh, chapters 5 and 6, the doubt, do we really walk around the walls of Jericho and shout and play trumpets and it's going to fall? That doesn't seem like a good plan. And then there's the, the temptation that's you know, very, very clearly illustrated in Joshua chapter 7, when God says, do not take devoted items from the spoils of your enemy. Leave it all there. Well, Achan fell to the temptation, and he hoarded a bunch of those things and brought it back and brought destruction upon the Israelites. They later lost a battle because of that at Ai. That's the disappointment. And Joshua had to work with them through seasons of indifference and seasons of distraction. All of those things could have caused insurmountable discouragement for Joshua. But every step of the way, he did not allow it. He didn't allow it. Jonah didn't even try to deal with discouragement, I don't think. As I read it, it just over and over, I go, he just seemed to like to wallow in the mud. Joshua tried to overcome it and succeeded. He succeeded. Why do you think the Bible says, don't be discouraged? Because he wants us to soar. He wants us to rise above it. He wants us to live above the surface. He doesn't want us to take on water. He doesn't want us to drown. He doesn't want us to sink. He doesn't want us to barely, you know, tread water out in the middle of the ocean. Discouragement is hazardous to our health. It's hazardous to our health. Think about it for a moment. In every way you can imagine, discouragement creates mental confusion, physical stress, Emotional anxiety, spiritual drift, relational withdrawal from one another, financial fear. Just think about it. 
Think about each and every one of those, and you could probably think of an illustration, an example, a story from your world where discouragement is caused, mental confusion, physical stress, emotional anxiety, spiritual drift, relational withdrawal for sure, financial fear, absolutely. If we let discouragement go unchecked, if we let the wave of discouragement continue to pound, 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 and we don't learn how to navigate it and rise above it, it will do us in. It will take us under. The current of discouragement will take us under. So what has you discouraged? Give it a name. My son asked Lily, my granddaughter, what is the name of the moose? She said, name. That's two years old. What's beautiful about two-year-olds is they don't need a lot of words. You know, you don't need to come up with another name. Just call the moose name. That's the name of the moose. You only need one or two words. Well, what's the name of your moose? What's the name of your discouragement? Seriously, what is the reason for your discouragement? It's easy to blame and you know, castigate others when it's us. You know, and sometimes it's easy to place blame on this person here when it's that one over there, or, or it's this situation here when it should be that situation there. We've all done it. Mistaken identity. Give it a name. Be clear. Through the years, as I've counseled with couples, I have found myself drawing uh, an image like you see on the screen here. Just a bunch of scribbly lines, just massive confusion. And I, I've sat, uh, you know, before couples who are yelling and screaming at each other, and, you know, I'm fearing for their lives, I'm fearing for my life if they turn on me. I mean, this is terrible. This is worse than terrible. And, and I'm not making that up. I mean, just screaming and yelling and it just, you know, deep pain and deep frustration, deep anger. And I would go to a whiteboard or get out a legal pad, and I would just scribble all over it. And i say, you know, right now it seems like we are in one big hurting mess. I mean, we have a huge mess. It's impossible. This is absolutely impossible. Would you agree? And then we would start talking about, you know, what the problems really are. And it's not never a thousand problems. It's never a hundred problems. It's never even ten problems. It's usually two or three or four problems. And we start talking about what the real issues are, and we come up with a list like the one you see on the next slide. Maybe finances are a big hurt and mess. Maybe communication is something that we need to deal with. Maybe miss, uh, you know, different ideas on how to raise kids is another one. And, and we identify what they are, and then we say, okay, now we can go to work on these three because we've named them. We've identified. It's not one just big, confusing mess. Finance. We can actually learn how to figure out finances. Let's go. Communication. We can learn communication skills and abilities. Parenting. There are classes and books and workshops and seminars that we can engage in that will help us learn how to get on the same page with God on how to do parenting. We name it. We idea it. Sometimes a deficit of courage is really all about not identifying the source. Secondly, we need to choose to overcome and not be overrun. 
I think this is such an important one. When we go through seasons of, of being really low and really discouraged, we have got to determine, friends, early and often, I will, with the help of God, overcome this. I choose to rise above this. I am not going to let this defeat me. God is with me. God will never leave me. God will never forsake me. I trust in him, and I choose right here, right now, that I'm going to learn to navigate this discouragement. I'm going to figure it out with God's help. Discouragement, despair, disappointment can bury us. You know, have you ever been out on the, uh, on the beach and the waves are just picking up and they're huge? Or maybe you've seen, you know, pictures and video on TV, whatever. I mean, they can be just huge. Sometimes you'll go to a beach and there'll be a sign, you know, be careful. You know, it, it's, the waves are huge and people have died here. You know, those kinds of things actually have happened. I remember being at a beach where I later learned that uh, the week before a guy broke his neck trying to body surf on that particular beach. Discouragement can be that powerful in our lives, mentally, emotionally, relationally, and so forth. It will pummel us if we don't learn to navigate it well. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 11, Joshua runs through the camp, and he realizes that everybody's on board. And he says, okay, let's go. Let's go do this. Let's go possess the land. Moses is gone. That's it. That's all. Now it's me and you. Let's go. Let's go. This is no time to be discouraged. Let's move forward. We are going to choose to overcome. We're going to choose to not be overrun. Think of some of the people you know in your own life. Think of some of the people you've known in the Bible, from the Bible. Think of people you know from history who have done this very thing. They have decided not to be overrun by discouragement, but to overcome it. As I was thinking about that this past week, I couldn't help but think of a story that we're all very familiar with, and it's the story of Abraham Lincoln. I mean, he had so many losses in his life. Uh, he was born dirt poor, literally. In fact, there was no you know, floor in the, you know, the cabin that he was raised in. Um, you know, he, he lost uh, his, his mom. He uh, eventually lost his sister. Um, he uh, wasn't able to go to school. His dad put him to work, and so he was self-taught. He became an avid reader at his own teaching. Uh, he bought a, uh, a grocery uh, at age 23. It went bankrupt. I mean, he spent forever trying to pay that off. Uh, he lost the love of his life uh, at uh, a fairly young age. Ann Rutledge died in 1835 to typhoid fever. He suffered a nervous breakdown. He ran for the U.S. Senate twice and lost. He ran for the U.S. House of Representatives twice and lost. He tried it again and finally won. He wouldn't let discouragement totally do him in. He's finally elected. In 42, he married Mary Todd. They had four sons. Two of them died while Abraham Lincoln was still alive. Another one died shortly after he died. In 1816, Lincoln was elected president by less than 40% popular vote. When he gave his inaugural address, army sharpshooters were on hand, watching for Confederates that were trying to assassinate him. He was heavily criticized by both Democrats and Republicans, and throughout his presidency, half of the country hated him. The point is, many people do not make the choice to overcome. They just allow themselves to be overrun. That's not Abraham Lincoln, and it's not Joshua, and it's not so many others in the Bible, and guess what? 
It doesn't need to be you or me either. But we need to make a choice pretty early because our emotions can get the best of us. Our mind can start spinning. Things can kind of start percolating in our life where we begin to think, oh boy, this is really going bad and going worse. And we have got to choose. We've got to choose to overcome. So I understand the source. I choose to overcome. And then this third one is I ask what courage demands of me. What does courage demand of me in this moment? And when I find myself in a discouraging situation, I mean, the waves are pounding hard. I need to itemize what is the source, what are the facts here. I need to choose to overcome. And then I need to ask, what is my next move? What does God want me to do? How do I take a step forward? What is the courageous thing, God, you want me to do right now with your help? I know it's not to wallow in my discouragement like Jonah chose. What is the step of courage I need to take? Just think of the Bible greats. We're talking about Joshua. But think of some of them that we've talked about in weeks prior to this. Abraham, Esther, Joseph, Paul, David. Think of others, Nehemiah, Peter. I mean, incredible people in the Bible that had moments of deep discouragement and difficulty and had to take a step of courage. What is that for you right now? I'm running out of money for school. My, my grades aren't going great. My marriage is struggling. My family is not going well. My spiritual life is just all over the map. What, what is that thing that's causing discouragement? Choose with God's help to overcome and then ask, what is my next step? What does courage demand of me in this moment? In Joshua chapter 8, verse 1, we read these words. Then the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Why did he restate that? Because they had just lost a battle with Ai. And the Israelites are reeling. I mean, it was like their first major loss. And the people are grumbling and mumbling, and Joshua's kind of uh, put off by it all. And God speaks right into their life. And what he says to them, he's saying to you and me, do not be discouraged. Whatever it is you're dealing with, don't be discouraged. Don't allow the wave of discouragement to pummel you and beat you into the sand. Rise above it. Let's go. It is tempting to allow discouragement to run its course. There are a couple of two or three verse sections in the first chapter of the book of James that um, I think are just so powerful to think about when we think about discouragement. The first one talks about trials that come from the outside. So difficulties, adversity, disappointments that kind of happen to us from the outside. Maybe we lose our job, or there's a health issue, or, you know, we could go on and on, come up with things that happen from the outside that we don't have a lot of control over. And what does James say? Compare pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know that those trials can produce perseverance and a maturing faith. In other words, walking successfully through difficulty, disappointment, and discouragement can actually build your faith if you keep your eyes on Christ. Nobody grows without some resistance. We don't become more mature without going through hard things. And so James reminds us there are going to be some things that are cascading upon you, but, but choose to know that God wants to help you move through those and move beyond those. The second one is the temptation scripture in 13, 14, 15, that section, chapter 1 again, where James says, you know, understand this about temptation. 
God's not tempting you, but each one of us is tempted when by our own evil desire we're dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it's grown, it gives birth to death. It gives birth to death. We often think of temptation, and we say, well, we're, we're talking about the Ten Commandments here. You know, don't lie, cheat, steal, commit adultery, murder. You know, don't, don't do those things. Um, you know, no sexual sin, no lust, no this, no that. And all of that is true. But there's another temptation that we never put in that category, and that's discouragement. The Bible says don't be discouraged. That is a command, and we never think of that. And so we allow ourselves to be beaten down, beaten down, pummeled, buried, drowned by discouragement. Are you with me? Anybody relate to that? Am I just preaching to myself here today? Well, I am preaching to myself today because you and I both deal with discouragement. And it will ruin your marriage, it will ruin your family, it will ruin your productivity at work, it will ruin your productivity at school, and there are so many reasons why we can get discouraged. But we need to keep the fight alive. You know, I like to think of a, of a fish. We look at this next slide. You know, James talks about evil desire being enticed, desire conceived, sin and death. Think of a fish. That fish is in the pond and really wants a worm. He's thinking, I'd love to have a worm for lunch right now. And so he wants the worm, and, and then he sees a worm. It happens to be dangling on a hook, you know, from a line, from some guy in a boat. He doesn't quite know all of that. All of a sudden, desires conceived. He desires that specific worm, unfortunately. Sin is he eats the worm. Death is he just so happened to get a worm with a hook in it. Isn't that bad luck? And we can apply that to our own lives because that's kind of the evolution of sin in our life. Let me apply that to discouragement on this next slide. What I'm trying to say is we become discouraged for whatever reason. We let it begin to control us. You ever felt like your mind was racing? You become obsessed by it. You can't quite swim away from it, and it sinks you. It takes you down. It takes you under. The devil wants you and me to be discouraged and to stay discouraged. But we need to recognize the source, choose to overcome, and then ask, what's the courageous move I need to make right now to get moving in a productive direction? We need to break the cycle. We need to break the cycle. You know, we become discouraged. Let's not let it control us. If it begins to control us, let's start moving it back to that first one. Certainly, we don't want to be obsessed by it, and we don't want to be drowned by it. Finally, let me give you this. Resolve to rely on God. You and I need help if we're going to soar, and we need to become resolute, resolute in our reliance on God. Got to realize I'm not strong enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not able enough, but you are. You are. And I am going to be resolute in praying this prayer every day. God, I need you, I trust you, I depend on you. And you are my hope, you are my lifeline. Relying is the principle of dependence. It's good for us to depend on God, to be dependent. 
To be independent of God is not a good thing. We want to be dependent on God. Lord, I need you. I rely on you. That's why we experience certain problems and troubles in life, to teach us reliance, to depend on God. Notice what it says here, Paul speaking in 2 Corinthians 1.9. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. I mean, these guys are sinking to their death. But this happened to us that we might not rely on ourselves, but rely on who? God. Who, by the way, is all-powerful. He has the power to raise the dead. Hello? We don't rely on ourselves. That's not going to work. We rely on the Almighty One who just so happens to be able to raise the dead. To be at the end of our rope and only have God to hold on to is not a bad thing. To be going down for the third time and grab onto a life ring and that's Jesus is not a bad thing. It could be the greatest thing if it teaches us greater reliance and dependability on the Almighty. We were down at the bottom, sinking fast, but this happened to teach us to rely on God. So friends, let's talk as friends for a moment. What has you discouraged? I would say I go through discouragement as much as you do. And I know that's kind of a general statement, but I find that discouragement is something that I need to really think about and pray about and apply these lessons in a very real way. I'm preaching to you sermons I preach to myself. I need to identify the source. I need to really be sure what that is. And sometimes I've gotten that wrong and and I've learned from it. And I hope I don't do that again. I need to choose to overcome early. I need to just say, God, I need to get out of this funk. I need to get beyond it. I need to overcome. I, I need to ask what the next courageous move is. Right now I have a deficit of courage. Lord, I need an abundance of courage. Would you please, oh God, give me a little excess You have so much courage. Give me just a little bit. And God, I want to rely on you today, tomorrow, the next day, next week, next month. I want to rely on you always. One thing that I have prayed to myself often when going through seasons of discouragement, and I put it on this slide here, is I I try to faithfully look back with gratitude. We all have so much to be thankful for. When we're going through seasons of discouragement, it's easy to focus on that. But if we'll just be faithful, if we'll just take the time to look back on the many blessings God has given us, Lord, thank you for my boys. Thank you for my daughters-in-law. Thank you for my grandchildren. Thank you for my wonderful wife. Thank you for health. Thank you for strength. Thank you for uh, the privilege I have to be part of a great church. Thank you. You know, the list is so long. And as I begin to pray prayers of thanksgiving, I have overwhelmed, engulfed by the goodness of God. And my discouragement begins to sink and shrink just a little bit. I look up in faith. Almighty God, you have promised never leave me nor forsake me. You're all powerful. You're present with me. You live in me. You walk beside me. You go before me. You come behind me. You are the resurrected king, sovereign of the universe. Heaven is my future home. I look up in faith. I look forward 
with hope. Because of Jesus, I have confidence. Because of Jesus, I know I can overcome. Because of Jesus, not only do I have eternal life, but the promise of his abundant life today. And I look in with resolve. Lord, I need to persevere. I need to endure. I need to overcome. That's on me, and I need you to help me, but I will, with the help of God, resolve to overcome. How about you today? Would you bow your hearts and heads with me, and let's just take a moment to give our discouragement to the Lord. What is it that has you down? Stuff at home, stuff at work, stuff at school, finances, health, extended family, friendships, relationships, stress regarding this, stress regarding that, pressure here, pressure there. Take a moment. Identify the source. Take a moment. Choose right here. With the help of God, you're going to overcome. Take a moment. Ask what the next courageous move you need to make is. Take a moment. Pray a prayer of reliance on God. With every head bowed and every eye closed, how many would just raise a hand to the Lord and say, Pastor, I'll pray for me. I'm going through some, some tough things right now and feeling some discouragement, and I really need to overcome those with the help of the Lord. I need to get beyond those. Just raise your hand to the Lord. I may not be able to see every hand, but the Lord does. And that's just a step of faith. It's just a step of faith. Yeah, so many hands, as I would have imagined. Lord, our hands are up. We need you, God. We need you. God, help us to apply these principles. Help us to apply the stories from the Word of God. The positive and negatives of of Jonah and the positive and negatives of Joshua and, and all of these scriptures. God, help us absorb them. And I pray, God, you'll relieve some of this discouragement some for my friends here today. Give them, God, the strength to rise above it. Soar above the discouragement. And we pray it, Lord, in your precious and holy name. And everybody said, amen. You know, one of the most important things for us to do is if we've not committed our life to Christ, to make sure we commit our life to Jesus. And if you're here today and you have not committed your life to Christ, I want to encourage you to make that very, very most important, crucial decision to say, Jesus, come into my life. I want to follow you from this day forward. He wants to help you. He wants to live in you. He wants to walk beside you. And if you do pray that prayer, please let me know about it. Take that connection card in front of you. Fill it out. Say, hey, today I committed my life to Christ or recommitted my life. Put it in the black box on your way out. I would love to get those cards be praying for you here this week. We're going to stand. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come forward. Our tradition service and online services will close in their normal manner. We're going to... uh, sing a closing song and then we're going to be dismissed and uh, I invite you to step forward for prayer ask God to meet you at your point of need God bless you everybody